Hi, and welcome to the DP World Tours Life on Tour podcast. I'm your host, Ewan Porter, and we have a very special episode today, not one, but two guests, and they've taken the golf world by storm over the last 12 months. They know each other pretty well, too. Nikolai and Rasmus Hoygaard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Well, it's been uh, just over a month since the final event of 2021, the DP World Tour Championship. Uh, what have you been up to over the, the Christmas break and the holiday period? Um, we haven't been up too much uh, lately. We've been um, taking some time off, um, been on a vacation in Dubai afterwards, uh, the DP World. So um, it's been good. We haven't had that much vacation the last few years. So uh, it's been nice relaxing a little bit. and. Um, now we're starting getting back to work. Well, I, I could be wrong, but did I, I? I think I've heard that you moved into the same apartment block. Is that right? Recently, are you in the same apartment together? Not quite. No, we we both moved out uh, early in uh, in December, but not in the same apartment block. We are we live in five hundred meters from from each other, so um, still very close. Yeah, and and you said you're just getting back into the uh, the swing of things now, and a little bit of practice. How how is it there this time of year in Denmark with the uh, the rather harsh climate and the colder conditions? Have you got somewhere that you can practice a good indoor facility to get ready for the season? Yeah, we have. Um, we started out practicing a little bit outdoor when it wasn't too cold, but then um, obviously it was very very cold during Christmas, so. We, uh, we we went indoor and just started hitting into a net, which is not that much fun, but uh, it, it is very much necessary to do. So uh, we, we we've been practicing a little bit indoor just to keep ourselves active, if you can say that. Well, two months between the final event of 2021 in Dubai and then the start of the 2022 season in. Abu Dhabi. Uh, do you plan on going out there a little bit early to to start preparing and get the game sharp? Yeah, we're actually uh, flying tomorrow, um, so we have two weeks uh, in Dubai um, to practice, and uh, we are really looking forward to get out now and and start practicing properly again and uh, and putting putting in the hours and, and getting ready for for the twenty twenty two season. Nice. Well, let's let's go back to the start, like we do with most of our guests on here. Born in two thousand and one, at what age did the pair of you start getting into the game of golf and 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 was was pursuing golf difficult for you as a child in Denmark given that it can be pretty cold in the winter so um i think the first time we we were introduced to golf we were probably 4 or 5 years old um our dad brought us to the golf course uh, we shared a little golf bag with three clubs in and uh, just started hitting balls on the range and um that was basically the first time, and that just happened more often. Um, and I think when when we got to about, I want to say eight, eight or nine years old, we uh, we became a member of the club, and then started to to take lessons and and all that. Um, but at at the same time, we were we were playing all, all kinds of sports: uh, handball, football, um, everything. And um, so, it wasn't golf right from the start, but. Um, I think when we got to about 11, 12 years old, we could see that we were probably better than average. And then we started to do play more and more and more, but we would still have handball as our winter sport, um, just to have that sort of team environment as well, um, yeah. which is something that we still miss to to this day. Um, but So we had the, the golf as a summer sport and handball 
as the winter sport. But um, obviously that changed um, a few years later when we had to choose the sport. Was there was there anything about the team sport that correlated to your golf? Anything there that you were able to use positively in your individual golf careers? Yeah, so we had we had a really good um, handball coach who was quite hard and and paced us a little bit, and and you start to build up probably like a mental, I don't know, toughness or whatever. But there's some 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 parts you can use in your golf as well, and and you you're starting to build up your own team as well. You got your coaches, you got your family and all friends around you. So you're in a team environment. It's not totally the same because you're not competing with them, but you're in a team environment. And, and so there's there are some small bits that's uh, similar, um, so we can use from handball. Um, but we're really missing the the competitiveness and, and, and small fights and handball um, as a team. <laughs> there are not too many fights out on the golf course, and not that I hope anyway, but... Uh... Rasmus, you mentioned that you, you were about 11 or 12 years old when you started to realise that you were better than average. So that would have been about 2012, 2013. Now, around that point, I know that Thomas Bjorn was still, he was still, uh, you know, thriving on, on the world stage. And you had Thorbjorn Olesen around that point that started to make a real impact on tour. But around then, it was really only those two uh, on the global stage. But since then, the last few years, there's been a multitude of Danish tour winners and tour stars in both the men's and women's games. What has it been specifically in the last few years that's enabled that to happen? That's a good question. Um, I think for us, we've we became a part of the national team when back in fifteen, um, and then really got into. That whole, um, what was it, that elite environment, uh, learning how to practice properly, um, how to travel and, and, and everything, just trying to prepare for when you turn professional. And I think that helped us quite a lot. Um, we're still using the same coaches from, from back then. So um, I think I think I definitely think that the national team has, has helped us quite a lot to, to develop us to a to a to become uh, a, a very good player. And um, yeah, that, I don't really have the answer for why the success has been so good the last few years, but I think talking for both of us, I think that's been a big help. It's a, it's, it's a small country with um, not many golfers. And then again, we all know each other. It's quite motivating when you know each other and somebody's got success. And, and we're all part of a national team. So we we actually been on practice camps all the players who's been playing really good uh, these last few years. So it's just motivating seeing each other uh, perform well, and um, then obviously it, it comes down to starting young in the, in, the, in the home clubs and the national team, all that environment building up to one day turning professional. But um, yeah, I, I guess that's my my take on it. How intense was the rivalry between you two growing up? It was very intense, um, and it was it was basically in 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 everything, even from school to to sport, and who could who could run fastest to the car going out from a supermarket and stuff. So, yeah, it was it, it was quite intense, and there were some some moments where it was tough, especially for our parents, because if if we were playing an an event and one of us won and the other and the other one finished maybe third or something. They didn't know if they had to celebrate with the guy who won or actually feel sorry for the other one. So they were always in, in, in between. 
Um, but that's something we've learned over time now that we can accept that and actually um, be happy for for each other. Your parents golfers? Yeah, um, our dad plays quite a bit of golf. Almost playing, almost uh, plays more golf than me and Raz. So um, <laughs> he's a golf maniac, but uh, that's good. He loves it and he loves uh, spending time with us on the golf course and. He's the one who paced us when we were younger, um, which we can see was was probably a good idea back then because there were so many things mm. going on with other sports. But he probably could see that it was golf and then he started pacing us. So we are actually quite happy that he did that uh, back then. Um, but yeah, he plays he plays loads of golf uh, all the time. Well, both, no doubt both your parents are very proud of you. Uh, in, in 2018, you were both a member of the winning World Amateur Team Championship squad in Ireland, uh, there's been some tremendous names that have helped their nations win that trophy over the years. And uh, the Denmark side beat home the US side, which was led by Colin Morikawa by one shot. Uh, that must have been a, a fantastic week and, and obviously a, a brilliant way to cap off your amateur careers. Yeah, for sure. Um, we didn't really know what to expect expect coming into that event because um, at that time we haven't played that many big events around in Europe or in, in, in the US so we wasn't quite sure how good the strength of field was um, so we were just um, actually just played the Maiden Denmark in, in, in Silkeborg, the, the European Tour event and then going straight to, uh, to Eisenhower so um, yeah we again we just Got there, practiced and played a little bit. Saw saw a couple of good names, obviously, um, but wasn't quite sure what the winner score would be. How much do we? What what do we need to do? And uh, um, obviously, we had a, a third player in the team, John, who, who who was on college at that time. So he he obviously knew that there was a lot of very good players there. Um, yeah. But. Um, yeah, it, it was uh, it was quite fun how the how the week developed. Well, I, I imagine you mentioned your teammate John was was in college at the time in the US. I'm assuming you're referring to, and you both turned pro at the age of 18. Was college ever an option, or you knew you were going to turn professional after that event in Ireland? I think I think we all we both maybe wanted to go to college, but we just we didn't like school. And we decided to drop <laughs> drop out of drop out of school very early, so everyone's listening. <laughs> Stay in school. Well, at least, <laughs> at least you're honest. We just we it wasn't for us, and 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 we were spending so much time playing golf and doing something that we liked, and um, we got to a point where we just couldn't couldn't um, be in school enough and and keep up with with the other ones and 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 all the homework, and and we just decided that. If one day golf doesn't work, we can always go back to getting um, uh, something of an education. Um, but for now, um, very happy that we um, decided to to drop out of school and focus on golf. And um, yeah, it's been a great it's been a great decision to this point. <laughs> well, you you turned pro in two thousand and nineteen, and Rasmus, you endured some heartbreak really at the end of the year, finishing twenty first on the Challenge Tour rankings, missing automatic promotion to the main tour by just the one spot and Nico you played seven DP World Tour events and had that memorable runner-up finish at the KLM Open to Sergio Garcia uh, what a way to really 
begin your professional career. It must have been an amazing week. Yeah, it was. It was. It was really special. I, I haven't played that. I didn't play that good in in, in nineteen. Um, I was playing uh, some third. Um, was that third tour, uh, third level? Was that Echo Tour uh, event? And just had used all my stars in the Challenge Tour, so I didn't really have that much left of the season. Um, and then uh, Duncan got me an invite for for uh, KLM, and I just played in. Fun story. I just played in the uh, pro am on the Monday, and he called me around five or six o'clock in the evening and said if I wanted to play, and I said of course I want to play. And travelled out uh, Tuesday morning. Um, didn't practice all eighteen holes. Couldn't couldn't uh, practice uh, hole number eighteen because there was programs going on and all that. So not the proper um, uh, what you call it uh, preparation. And um, I could just see that weeks going on and went on. Suddenly you're in the mix and. Yeah, it's hard to put into words because I haven't been close to doing something like that before. Um, but it was quite fun. It was quite uh, interesting. It was Sergio coming down the stretch. Was it not daunting at all because you hadn't you hadn't been in that position before? Mm, it probably was a little bit, but I was play I was playing really good, and at that time I don't really think it would mean that much if it was Sergio or what who who else. Um, it was just playing my my golf, and it's just special when it's Sergio because he's he's such a, a, a I would call him a legend in the game, um, and he's a, someone we all probably look up to. Um, he's um, inspiration golf wise and all that. So, uh, and he seems like a a good dude as well. So um, it's just special coming down the stretch that it was him you're battling with, and then hopefully we get. A few more chances in the future. I'm sure you will. And and Rasmus, Rasmus, you you went from heartbreak to jubilation in the matter of weeks because you finished fifth at the qualifying school to earn your playing rights on the DP World Tour for the 2020 season. How were you able to turn that around so quickly? Because you must have been pretty distraught not getting your card off the Challenge Tour. Yeah, I mean, I I actually had a really good season there on on the Challenge Tour. Um, the goal was never to finish top 15. It was just to, to get my Challenge Tour card for, for 2020. Um, but I, I finished second in my, in my first invite on the Challenge Tour. And from there on, I could see I probably almost got my card there. So now I can just keep, um, checking in events and see how, how far I can get. And then, um, you know, finishing. I was obviously in, inside the top 15 for a very long time during that season and then dropped out. In the second half, um, but I, that was just pressure for me. I, um, yeah. I I was probably too caught up that I could get on the on the DP World Tour. Um, so I um, I didn't play that great in 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 the end. But then um, you know still had a good season and I was still excited to go to the Q School, have a chance uh, straight straight into the final stage, um, and then got off a good start. Um, just just stayed patiently and then you know it, it got me that card in the end uh which uh gave me a, a few starts at, at at the end of the year then yeah well it was straight after that you went down to mauritius and defeated antoine rosner and renato paratore in a in a playoff i mean that was only your fourth career start 
on the DP World Tour? I mean, you, you must have, did you exceed your own expectations by winning or was the momentum just still rolling from Q School? No, I, w- I wasn't expecting that at all. I um, I, I just played at Leopard Creek the week before uh, my first event as a member and I, I had a good week, didn't have a good result, but I enjoyed it very much. And so we went to Mauritius there and just said, well, it's last event of the year. I've had a really good year. Let's just see how good we can finish it. And um, got off to a good start and just actually just kept building on that. And then, you know, going out in in the last round, two shots behind, starting birdie eagle and suddenly leading by two shots. That was, uh, from there on, I, were, I, I felt the pre- Felt the pressure straight away. Uh, I also managed to make two bogeys straight away after that, just to get back to reality. Um, but then, you know, from there on, I just, um, I just tried to not get too caught up in the end result or whatever. So uh, I just start try to hit greens or make birdies or whatever, and then suddenly I'm I'm in a playoff, um, and. I don't know if it's a fun story or cool story or, or whatever, but I, I've I've told it a few times now. Coming down the 72nd hole, I hit it in the fairway. And when I stood over that second shot, looking up before I pulled the trigger, the only thing I can see is just the water on the left and that terrible bunker on the right. I only see problems. Um, <laughs> I, I was so nervous and I... I, I didn't put a good swing on that. I thinned it up to the front part of the green, which I was happy with. Um, and two two good putts from there got in the playoff. But once I was in the playoff, I hit good drives on 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 every uh, playoff hole. And every time I had my approach shot, the only thing I could see was kind of the green and and the flag. I didn't pay attention to the water or the bunker, which was strange because. 30 minutes before that, I could only see problems. And that was, uh, that was a bit of a shock for me, but it was, it was kind of a cool moment as well, just being so focused. And, um, I guess that's why I, I could hit, uh, such a good shot in, in, into the green and, and set up an, an eagle chance. I think you went birdie, birdie, eagle for the three holes in the playoff, didn't you? Do you, do you think the, do you think that, um, I guess you could say mental floor or, whatever you want to call it, on the 72nd hole where you only saw the water in the bunker, do you feel like you may have gotten that out of your system So and, and got away with it? So when you came to the playoff, you knew it could only improve from there? Yeah, probably. I um, I just tried to say to myself again, uh, kind of what I did to the Q school as well, look, I've, I've had a good year. Um, I don't really have anything to lose. That's what I was trying to tell myself before the playoff. And then... I don't know if that got me to a point where I could just swing three or free, free. Um, but then, um, yeah, but it's hard to explain because uh, that was such a mm. weird situation. Yeah. Well, look, you both obviously had fantastic uh, opening 12 months of your professional careers. Two, uh, 2020 was quite a contrast, though, because Rasmus, you went on to win your second DP World Tour title at the ISPS Honda UK Championship, but... Nico, 2020 was a bit of a struggle. You finished 206th in the race to Dubai standings. Uh, was the did the pandemic and the season stoppage did that contribute to feeling perhaps a little uneasy out there on tour? Um, I would say I actually felt quite comfortable playing out there. The problem was probably that the only way 
uh, everything could change was with a win. So instead of focusing on getting better and trying to improve, the only focus was to win all the time. So mm. um, I've learned a lot from that. Um, and I think that was the main thing in 2020. Probably stressing a little bit regarding Ras' situation as well, that I wanted to get out there and win as fast as possible. And I had a good chance back yeah. in, uh, in uh, 19, but that was as a non-member and all that. So it, it, it wasn't really... I, you're always trying to win, but sometimes you're probably not expecting to be in the mix. And I was just caught up with trying to trying to get that win all the time. And and I, I was first of all, I wasn't playing that well, and I played too many yeah. events in a row as well. So the body was probably not re uh, fully resting as well. So I learned a lot from 2020, and um, which led to a good meeting in, in the end of 2020, start of 2021 with, with the team and, and, and trying to put things down uh, on a paper, trying to uh, build a good plan and, and what to focus on in, in 2021. And well, 2020, 2020 was a very, very difficult year for everyone, as we all know. But having your brother out there, uh, Nico, how important was it having Rasmus out there to... I'm not going to say to have a shoulder to cry on, but someone to talk to when you were struggling so much because Rasmus was obviously doing well, notching up that second win. Was it instrumental in having his support and his belief out there alongside you? Yeah, it was good. We, we always enjoy each other's company and we could learn a lot from each other. And, and obviously I, I drew some inspiration and, and motivation from, from Ras' success uh, in 19 and, and, and 20 as well. And but then again, at that time, I probably wasn't mature enough to to use it as as a positive all the time, um, and that probably stressed me a little bit as well. But we always yeah. we all, we can always talk each other with each other about if if anyone is struggling, um, and um, you know, always having a brother out on tour, we can always find someone or look to someone or just we don't even have to talk. We can just I can see him on the reins, and you know. Yeah, he's he's yeah. here, and and we always got a a friend uh, for whatever situation. So that that's the good part of it, and um, I can't really find any negative about it anymore. So how was it then at the beginning of 2021 when you didn't see your brother down in the end of the range? Because Rasmus, you were beginning your season in the Rolex Series events and WGCs, and Nico, you didn't begin your season until later on in March in in Kenya. So how was that dynamic then? Was, I, I guess more so for you, Nico, when you were not playing and, and watching Rasmus out there and, um, and, and you know, certainly getting an opportunity to get off and get a bit of a head start on the season. Yeah, it was... I, for sure, I wanted to play the same events. That's what, we, what, is what we're trying to do, play the big events, play together in the big events. And again, then again, it's, it's a, I use it as a big motivation and inspiration in 2021 to say that I'm not going to... I'm not going to stay here. I want to get out there as well and... Obviously, I had a, a, a bad start again for the 2021 season in Kenya, but after that, it was it was we started really doing some good work, and and from there on, we actually switched the mentality a little bit about trying to trying to get better every day, and that's been the that's been the key part since April, that the the focus is trying to get better every day, trying to get one percent better instead of focusing on results and where you want to play, uh, thinking about the future, but stay present and and trying to get better all the time and that's been the main focus and, and suddenly you sometimes it just changes a little bit and it, may, it makes golf a little bit easier 
um, thinking that mm. way and, and not stressing about if you make a bad result or whatever. But if you feel like you can see in stats as well that something is improving, then it gives you a little bit mm, of cool. uh, calmness uh, to, to, to keep grinding. And um, that's been the big change. Erasmus, you had a, a really solid start to 2021, two top tens in your first three events. But then you endured somewhat of a, a lull really right up until a top three finish in August at the Kazoo Open in um, in Wales. Was there any specific reason for that lean patch? Were you working on anything in particular in your game? Not really. Um, again, as as I did in, in 2020, I, I had a, a spell where I was too much caught up in, oh, I was pretty high up in the world rankings. I can get close to top 50 or I'm high up on the race to Dubai or whatever. So um, it, it, it's... I think obviously coming from a a good start there with a couple of top tens, got into the WGC and that um I didn't really um how would I say that? Um focus on, on the right things. Um I think I forgot a little bit about what got me to the point where I can perform and that's having a clear mind of just um you know, stay present, not get too too ahead of yourself. Um and I and I didn't really do that, so I I got into a bad habit, um, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, and it, t- it took me a long time to kind of realize the situation, uh, but got it in the end. Sat down with the team, um, and we kind of went through the the big or the bit of the the negative side of things, and. Um, and that kind of cleared it all out and then said, all right, from now on, we got to do this and that. And then that helped me um, a little bit to get on, on, on the right path again. But I think that's very important. It's just um, many of the big players say that as well. Just you got to stay present and not, and not get ahead of yourself. Because um, that, I mean, that's just a that can destroy the whole momentum and, and confidence. And uh, that's what it did for me there. It can be a metaphor for life in general as well. I think we could all use that philosophy. Yeah, I, I referenced that top three in Wales and it was your, your following event. You captured your third DP World Tour title at uh, the Omega European Masters in Kranz. Uh, obviously winning such a prestigious event at such an iconic location must have been very very special for you yeah it was it was it was very cool um obviously coming off a a top three there in i think it was was a london london club um i um i i didn't play play great up until that but i think that was the turning point there um being in contention feel that uh rush again and then uh got home had a week off where i could Build on that, and then going to Kran, um, yeah, it, it was cool. Um, some views at that place, but uh, yeah, um, it was obviously a, a bit of a backdoor win. I didn't expect it to be fair. I um, I just went out and and tried to set up as many birdie chances there on on that final round, and then you know in the end i i was standing with the trophy which i i couldn't believe at that at that time um but I, that's what happens one once in a while i think um you you just got to make that birdie on 18 to put some pressure on and i um i did that so i was yeah that was a cool week 
It certainly was. And it, it got even better because the following week at the Italian Open, uh, Nico, you uh, you claimed your first DP World Tour victory, uh, holding off Tommy Fleetwood down the stretch and, and created history by becoming the first set of twins to win in back-to-back weeks on any major professional tour around the world. I guess first question, how did it feel to get that monkey off your back and get that first win, which you'd strived so hard for? Oh, it was special. It was uh, a very nice feeling, a uh, different one compared to to amateur events and, and all that. But it's, it's, still, it's still the same rush, but this one was just more of a breathe out kind of thing, uh, more than just celebrating. Um, also because probably on the 18th hole, uh, someone was fucking breathing in my neck uh, down the stretch all the time. And so it was nice having it all for the birdie on 18. Um, but it was just more of a got that one over the line and now the wheel work, real work starts. Um, and yeah, it was, it was so nice getting it done. And um, ever since it's been a bit more, um, what do you call it? Uh, not, not relaxing, but it's more of a, no, no, not, not that much stress regarding uh, what I'm going to play and all that. So um, it's been good. It was, yeah, it was nice. I can, I can say nice a hundred times, uh, but yeah, it was, <laughs> it was special. Well, the Marco Simone Golf Club there, just outside of Rome, it was, it was pretty new to the majority of players, and, and the eyes of the golf world were on the on that event that week, uh, in particular because it's going to be hosting the Ryder Cup next year. So you obviously uh, took quite a shining to it. Hopefully. Hopefully, uh, we would love to, we, would, we would love to play Ryder Cup, but uh, there's a long time to it, and there's a lot of work we need to to do. And um, I believe we can we can uh, get to the team. And um, but um, as I said, there's a lot of work to be done, and uh, we can't wait for for the next year. Well, the media and the golf public went crazy for what you achieved those two weeks. Uh, I mean, it was it's quite phenomenal to think that you did win in back to back weeks i mean just getting any victory out on the dp world tour is is hard enough but to do it in back to back weeks did the two of you realize just how historic that achievement was did it take a while to sink in i, I think it took a while um we were just very very happy in, in the moment i was especially uh, very very happy for nikola in, in in italy i got to walk around the back nine to see him play um and i i think the camera saw that as well um but it was it, it was very very cool. I um, Nikola hasn't been there for for any of my wins, so for me to be there to see him win was uh, was very cool. But yeah, after I think if, I don't know. I think when, when we got back after Wentworth, uh, sat down at home with our family. I, I think it, it was there where it really struck us at how how big of an achievement it actually was. Um, so yeah, it was um, looking at it now is it's quite cool. Um, I was going to say, what what was the reaction from the players? Yeah, but a, a lot of players came over and said how how cool it was. Uh, had a few texts as well, and they they were probably almost more excited than than, than we were. Um, they were happy that they um, can say con- congratulations to one of us now, and not be scared if it's the wrong one. Because after Switzerland, I don't know, 10 players came up to me, congratulations, congratulations. And it was Rasmus win. And the following week, uh, or in, at Wentworth, uh, some players came up to Ras. So I think they're happy that 
they're not scared of saying congratulations to the wrong one. <laughs> well, look, the, the, Hoy, the Hoygaard name has been on the golf radar for many years now. And even though you'd both had phenomenal achievements prior to those uh, back-to-back victories, in those, well, sorry, in those back-to-back weeks, was it around that point after Italy and, and certainly around the BMW PGA there that you, you felt like you'd both arrived? And, and, and what was the reaction from... I guess the public in in Denmark did you receive a lot of attention back home for it? Yeah, it was quite a, quite a bit uh, attention back home in Denmark. Um, every time there, when there is a a, a a player who wins on the ladies uh, tour or, or men's tour, um, it gets uh, big attention in Denmark. And this one was quite special. I feel like it's, it's when I looked at it and 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 saw what people was writing and all that because it was back to back weeks, but. We we weren't really thinking about it. Uh, I wasn't thinking about it until I was asked, actually, in the interview afterwards. Because mm. it's not something they really focus on, but certainly it's quite special when somebody tells you that it was back-to-back. And in Denmark, it was exploding a little bit. And um, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's just it's special, and it's, and it's pretty cool that we are the first one to do it, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll do it again. Well, it's quite interesting that uh, as I sit here talking to the two of you, your, your current world rankings are both around the 90, somewhere in the 90s mark. But just before we uh, started recording here, I was chatting to your manager, Duncan, and he said it's actually quite interesting because the two of them have never really played uh, well at exactly the same time. Yet you, you sit here in a very similar position in your careers, winners on tour and same status, same sort of world rankings. So... Yeah, I, I mean, when, I guess the question is, when, when are you going to play well together? What tournament have you sort of picked out that, uh, you know, it's going to be head-to-head down the stretch, the Hoygaard twins? It'll be pretty cool. Hopefully, to- hopefully do it at the Maiden Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that would be quite a – it would be quite a party. Well, let's let's talk a little about life on tour. Uh, the t- when, when the two of you are playing the same event, what's a typical week look like for you out there? Are you rooming together, eating together, practicing together? Does it sort of mirror what you do at home? It's very unusual that we that we are rooming together, uh, just because it, if we have different tea times and stuff, it's, it's going to mess up uh, the the other one's sleep. So we usually just uh, stay in stay in different rooms, but uh, we will always meet up for for dinner in the evening, even breakfast sometimes. Um, and then we we probably always play practice rounds together as well. So uh, we're just uh, never losing sight of each other, basically. Oh, look, there's a growing crop of emerging young talent now on the DP World Tour. You've obviously got uh, yourselves, my countryman, Minwoo Lee, Sean Crocker, Sam Horsfield, etc. There's a lot of young guys coming through now. Uh, it must be very enjoyable for you to have uh, you know people around the same age with the same interests traveling week in week out on tour. It must it must have certainly made the transition for you in the first couple of years out there a little bit easier. It has. Um, it's a bunch of good guys, the young ones out there, and and we're enjoying spending time uh, with them. And so it is. It is. It is fun when when there's guys similar age and and. Similar hobbies as well, um, playing the same place. So it's just enjoyable because you can go out for dinner uh, and trying to get new relations, new friends, instead of just keep me and Raz all the time. But mm. because when one of us is not there playing the tournament, when you need you need someone else to to spend time with as well, and there's there's a lot of of good 
uh, friends and good um, people out there to, to spend time with. So it's 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 it is enjoyable um, with uh, young players as well. Well, Nico, you recently featured in the Hero World Challenge and broke a Guinness World Record for the fastest hole played by a team of four. It was quite incredible. It was something like twenty eight seconds or twenty seven seconds, something something ridiculous. But uh, one, how was it breaking a world record? And two, also featuring in the world famous DP World Tour creative content team. It was quite fun. Uh, it was fun watching the other ones break the record. Uh, <laughs> I was just holding a flagstick, uh, but anyway, it was fun being part of it. Um, watching the other ones, it was. Uh, we 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 thought we could do it, um, but you never know. But it was time. It, it, we we timed it pretty good, and and. Wilco had a good drive. Sean was quite fast to pull the trigger on the fairway, and then Men uh, had a good putt. Um, and then suddenly you you break the record, and it was it was fun being part of and 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 knowing that all four of us all yeah, all four of us um, would be in the Guinness uh, book now, uh, which everyone have been reading when we were younger and and seeing all those weird uh, uh, world records. Uh, so that's pretty special, yeah, even though I, I didn't do much effort in in the in the try, I guess. <laughs> You're a part of it, mate. Not many people can say they're in the Guinness Book of World Records. I'm all, always saying that I was more support or water boy or whatever, but uh, it was fun. <laughs> You're a part of the squad. All right, what's the plans for 2022? How's the schedule shaping up after the Middle East? Um, We're not sure after the Middle East yet. Um, we have we've planned out to play all four events: uh, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Ras Al Khaimah, and Qatar. And then from there on, we will see what's on, on the schedule. Uh, I know there is uh, an event in India and probably a few events in in South Africa, but we haven't really got to that point yet to see where we want to play. Um, I think we want to see how we do in in the Middle East and then take it from there. We we got some events planned in the middle of the season and the end of the season. It's just that start of the season now is not sure yet because of playing those four in in, in the Middle East and then if we perform well, some doors opens. It, it'll be your first time, Nico, starting the season in the Middle East, so you, you must be pretty excited for that. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, I, I've been on a few practice camps now in, in Dubai and, and I really enjoy playing playing down there, so I'm really looking forward to, to start the season in Abu Dhabi and, and, and Dubai. Uh, the two Rolex events. So um, I can't wait to get out and start practicing and, and get into tournament mode again. Well, I know we briefly touched upon it before, but it would be remiss of me not to ask you about the Ryder Cup in 2023 because we just watched a European side in, in 2021 pretty much get dominated by the US on US soil. And obviously you'll have home ground advantage next time, but there seems to be a bit of a bit of a thought process right now that uh, it's going to be a much younger European side uh, that takes takes to the uh, the course in 2023. So that must be for both of you a you know a huge goal. It must be right at the top of the list. Hundred percent. It's uh it's up there for sure. I mean we uh, we would love to play a foursome together in 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 the Ryder Cup. Um, and again, it's just very very motivating to see uh, or to hear that that talks about you know, a younger team coming in now or there is a, a lot of young players now who's uh who's just on on, on the limit and um yeah we we're just very 
motivated and excited about that we could potentially have a chance to get in that team. Um, so that would be um, that would be very very cool. Well, look, I want to thank you both for coming on the podcast today. I'm sure I can speak on behalf of golf fans around the world that uh, we look forward to following your progress for many many years to come. And it's great to see what a, a terrific bond that the two of you have. I know brothers can uh, tend to fight quite a bit and have their disagreements. You two seem to be very, very close. It's great to see. And uh, once again, thank you and uh, good luck for 2022. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us.